Well, this is the principles of faith, lesson number one, and we entitle this, What is Faith? Uh, there's a lot of discussion about faith, and everybody knows of faith. Uh, even our government has faith. They, they talk about our, my faith tradition. We can't even say I'm a Christian anymore. We must say my faith tradition. What in the world does that even mean? It means nothing. It's a bunch of political correct garbage. But what is faith? Well, faith is what it takes to please God. Okay, but what is that exactly? And so if you're like me, I'm scientifically minded. I want to deconstruct and analyze and critique and, and unwrap and look at everything as close as possible. So that's why we wrote these lessons, to attack the subject of faith from a different perspective and, and help our faith. So what is faith? As Christians, we're called to live by faith. Uh, as Habakkuk says, the just shall live by faith. What it, what it means in this connotation to live by faith is, the implication is, it's not like a code you live by. It's the very essence that causes you to exist. So, you know, this word live in the Hebrew implies just like how do we live? By breathing, by eating, by drinking water. That's how you live. Without it, you die. That's what this is saying in the Hebrew. The just exist. We live, we breathe, we have our being by faith. If you're not operating in active faith, you're really not just. Just people, righteous people, their existence is based upon their faith. That's how critical this is. And you have to kind of meditate on that, that verse in the Hebrew to catch it. It doesn't mean, you know, we live by transportation these days. We live by tech. No, that's not what it's saying. You'll, what it's saying is you'll die and you'll cease to be just, righteous, and, and holy without faith. The just shall exist by faith. That's how critical it is. We live by faith just as we live by air, water, and food. We cannot live without air, and we cannot live without faith. Faith is the only thing that pleases God. And so then we have to ask ourselves, what exactly is faith then? Because we can describe it, we can talk about it, we can say something as ignorant as, well, just have faith in God. My, my new friend, Pastor Parker in Iceland, he was talking about, he's been a missionary for 14 years and has pastored churches in the UK. He said, brother, don't you just love it when you're going through a tough time and they tell you, well, just, just trust God. What do you think I'm doing? <laughs> or oh, his other kids, oh, so that's what I should be doing in the ministry 25 years later. I hadn't thought I should just be trust. Of course I'm trusting God. <laughs> Sometimes we just, we just become so flippant and careless using our, you know, our lingo. Just, just believe the Lord, brother. Oh, that's... What do you think I'm doing? Just it's a little tough right now, so just hug me and pray for me. So what is faith? Faith is the Greek word pistis. Pistis, and it means conviction of the truth of anything. You can have faith in anything. You can have faith in yourself. You have faith in evolution. You can have faith in homosexuality. You can have faith in science. You can have faith in that chair. It's the conviction of the truth of anything. And we operate in faith in every area of life. We go to the doctor because we trust the doctor. We have faith in him, right? We, we avoid a road because we don't have faith in the safety of a road. We tend to trust or, or the media tries to prop up a figurehead for the people to trust so then they can feed their propaganda through that figurehead whether it's this talking head or that talking head, whether it's conservative news or whether it's liberal news. We operate in faith in every area of life. And so everybody has a measure of faith. 
But as Paul said, not all men have the faith. And that is the definite article, the faith in Christ. So even the evolutionist has faith. The Mohammedans or the Muslims have faith in Mohammed. The Buddhists have faith in Buddha. The, the Mormons have faith in Joseph Smith. You know, so we all have this measure of faith, this ability to believe and trust in something fervently. But then the Greek also, because of its application, it lets us know it's a trust in a holy fervor. So all this, all this political correct talk about a faith tradition, it totally negates the biblical languages of Hebrew and Greek, which says it's a trust and a holy fervor. If you and I have a faith, we have a holy fervor about us. We can't help but live it out loud. We can't help but demonstrate our faith everywhere we go. If we're not in a holy fervor about it, we're not really in faith about it. And we can tell by our lifestyles what we're fervent about. Amen. Because all you have to do is push that button and we'll see if there's anything there. If there's any holy fervor there, we push the button, it's going to come out. And, and the sad thing is, slowly but surely, the faith of peoples around the world, the faith of the American Christian is being robbed and hijacked. And you see in the heist movies where the hacker gets into the account and transfers all the money from one account to the next, right? That's what's happening in the hearts of the American believer. We're being hijacked by culture, not kingdom culture, secular, carnal U.S. culture, and our faith is being stolen from faith in Jesus Christ and put into other things that we like or prefer, that make us accepted, that make us, you know, liked and poked on Facebook, and, and you know, people give us that what, what, and that yurt on Facebook. We're sacrificing our faith or allowing it to be stolen and transferred. If you can see faith as a monetary thing, your funds are being transferred without your permission or sometimes with your permission. Sometimes you're choosing to empty your account and put all your faith in something that's not holy or righteous. But that's what pistis is. It's a trust and a holy fervor in God. This is just a definition, but faith is defined by its actions. How does faith act and how does it manifest? How does faith grow? How does it increase? How does faith please God? Faith is an action. So we got to ask, how does it act? Now remember, we've been given the statistics lately. 81% of Americans confess Christianity. But would you, would you, let's see, that's 320 million Americans, so you're talking 280 million people in America confess to be Christians. By looking at America today, do you believe they have a holy fervor for Jesus Christ? No. So therefore, if you, Jesus said you can judge them by their fruit. Where's the holy fervor? I don't see it. I realize how much of a holy fervor I have for the American flag with all this junk that's come about in our country because I just bought my first flag ever, a big one to hang on my front porch. And then I was so angry with what our country's done. I said, where are my American flag and my Christian flag in my church? Because we haven't put them back in the sanctuary since we remodeled the church. So I went and did that this morning. So we have an American flag back in our sanctuary and we have the Christian flag. There's a holy fervor there. Now, that's just a flag, and I get it. And if you want to burn it, I won't punch you in the face. I'll think about punching you in the face. But you know, what would happen if we burned the homosexual flag? See, they have a holy fervor, an unholy fervor for that. It's faith. Faith, your faith is defined by how you act. Talk is cheap. 81% of America says, I'm a Christian. By the way they live, I would say you're not. That's judgmental. Yes, it is. But so is calling me judgmental. So number one, faith speaks. We can see this. What are you talking about? 
we must first realize faith, faith begins manifesting when our mouth opens. Faith is what we are saying. Now, I know I just said talk is cheap, but you can tell, you know, it's one thing to say on a poll, I'm a Christian, that's cheap talk. But what are you always talking about? What, what's always coming out of your mouth? What's your conversation like? I, I was, uh, we had our, you know, everybody I think got together yesterday for the 4th of July. And it just blessed me to sit around with a bunch of folks. And we were talking about the Bible and eschatology and end times and what's God going to do next. And it, it's just neat to be able to fellowship with folks who are true Christians. And you can tell because conversations revolve around pleasing God and the Bible. And that's not every conversation. We have to do other things. But when we have free time, we choose to talk about the Bible and praise and worship and scriptures and doctrine and what God's doing in this country and that mission trip and what's the report out of the church over in this nation. That's awesome. But if you're not talking about that kind of stuff, it's because you have no heart for it or it doesn't interest you. So your faith must be someplace else. Amen. All right, it's kind of quiet on that. Faith is what we're saying. 2 Corinthians 4.13, we having the same spirit of faith, or we could say attitude of faith. It's the Greek word pneuma, which means mental disposition as well as breath. As it is written, we believed and therefore have we spoken. We also believe and therefore speak. Notice that the spirit of faith, the attitude of faith, believes and talks. It believes and it speaks. The spirit of faith speaks. You will speak what you believe. The more you believe something, the more you'll talk about it. A couple years ago, I was asked to uh, be one of the judges, not on American Idol, but TSA, Tennessee Science Academy, they host their big science fair every year at Tennessee Tech. So one year I was called in to be one of the geology judges by an old friend of mine. She has her PhD now and really smart lady. And we had some geology classes together, so she called me up. And so then there was this other lady who was a judge, and then one of the professors I went to school with, or under, not to school with, but he was one of my professors. And apparently this lady, her name's Miss Janie, I won't give you her last name because she still lives in town. She, she's a staunch evolutionist, and uh, she taught labs at Tech. She's old enough to be my mother, but she, talks, she taught some classes. So we shared an office for a semester at Tech, and apparently the lifestyle I lived in front of her tw- well, this would have been about 16 years prior, still made such an impression on her. Uh, I show up to, as a judge, and I hear her over, lean over and say, this guy doesn't even believe in evolution. Why is he here judging? Like, what does that have to do with judging a bunch of high school students' science fair projects? But evidently, my faith, 16 years later, she remembers me. She recognizes me walking in, and it still irks her. Because even as a geology major teaching classes, my mouth was running (laughs) and how I didn't believe in evolution and here's all the facts for why it's foolish and it still ruffled her feathers. 16 years later, that's the first thing out of her mouth. Not, hey, Chris, good to see. What have you done with your life? Where did geology take you? The first thing was, this guy doesn't even believe in evolution. (laughs) Hopefully you have a testimony, maybe not along those lines, but something similar where your faith was running its mouth for Jesus Christ, and people still remember you for that. Amen. The more you believe something, the more you'll talk about it. Hebrews 11, 13 and 14 says, these all died in faith. This is talking about the great hall of faith. Not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off and were persuaded of them. This is faith. Look at this. They died in faith. They didn't receive anything, 
but they died in faith. But they embraced these promises and they confessed. That means they were talking. They confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. For they that say such things declare plainly that they seek a country. Notice that faith is mentioned here and then talking is mentioned three times. Confessing, saying, and declaring. These great people of faith in Hebrews, they never saw Jesus Christ. Not not face to face. But they died in faith confessing and declaring we believe in him he's coming one day we may not see him but somebody in our lineage will but we still believe in him and even though they died without having received the promise the bible says they still died in faith how did you know they were in faith because they were talking about it till the day they died what's wrong with us if we can't talk about jesus christ today isn't it amazing Here's, here's my firm conviction you can totally disagree with this but i watch it i study it i analyze it christians are being talked out of their faith in Christ through middle school peer pressure in in the middle school that is American culture. We're slowly being talked into being ashamed of our Christian faith and our Savior and our doctrine so that we're opening our mouth less and less. We're wagging our heads when Christians do speak up. We're ashamed when we see people, maybe not you and me, but some are, ashamed when we see people pray in public. The spiritual climate of my nation right now makes me want to climb on tops of tables and command all the heathen in the restaurant to bow their head so at least they don't choke to death in that meal and go to hell then. This ought, if you've got a, a strong fervor in Christ, this climate ought to be, the spiritual climate ought to be making you stronger and bolder and louder. You know, if you've got any carbon in you, pressure will make a diamond out of you. And if you've got any faith in you at all, this pressure will make a strong Christian out of you. But if you lack faith, when this thing squishes you, you got nothing. Just what my dad always called a cheap said faith. Just Sunday morning Christianity. Sunday morning Christianity sends people to hell every day. This thing is bigger than just Sunday morning. It's got to be seven days a week, 24 hours a day, 365 days a year. Unless it's a leap year, then you add an extra day, 366. Even February 29th, you're still a Christian. Amen. Uh, Matthew, excuse me, Mark 11, 22 and 23. And Jesus answering said unto them, have faith in God. For verily I say unto you that whosoever shall say unto this mountain, there's the word say, be removed and be cast into the sea and don't doubt in your heart, but believe that what you say will come to pass, you shall have what you say. Notice faith is mentioned once. Talking and saying is mentioned three times. Now this, in my household, This is one of my most favorite verses because we'll remind each other, Jesus said we can have what we say, so we're going to say what we want because if we believe it, we can say it, we can have it. That's how this thing works. That's faith. It's the spirit of faith. How did God create the heavens and the earth? He spoke. How did Jesus raise Lazarus from the dead? He spoke. How do you cast out demons? You speak. How do you curse yourself? You speak. How do you act ashamed like like Peter? I don't know what you're talking about. It's, it's a sad day, and this whole spiritual climate we're in now is really going to quickly shift and sift the wheat from the tares and the sheep from the goats, and you'll start to see the two-faced Christians, the ones that act Christian in church and the ones that act like pagans in the world, and they become chameleons. They adapt to wherever they're at. We're not called to adapt. We're called to be the same fervent thing everywhere we go, probably even brighter out in the darkness. And here we might not look very bright because we're amongst a bunch of bright Christians. But you may even feel like, I'm not very spiritual. I'm not very holy. No, no, sweetie, you are. You get out in the darkness and you'll see how bright you really, really are. 
And here, though, in the local church, we're always raising the bar. We're always getting better. We're always lifting stronger. We're always running faster. So you may not feel very good, but all you have to do is get out in the darkness, and you'll see how much you really do shine for Jesus. So it's a very shallow analogy. I was just reminded, though, when I first started taking jujitsu as an 18-year-old, I got my little hiney handed to me every workout in a little paper bag, and they'd staple it to me and hand me home defeated. And I felt like, this stinks. I am never going to get good at this. Because everybody you're working out with is so much better than you. And you don't ever win. You don't ever get to beat up Big Brother unless he lets you. And even then, he's got you suckered somehow. And so I felt like I'm not getting any good at jujitsu until one day a bunch of arrogant Taekwondo knuckleheads walked in. And then you realize, I have learned something in six months. Because we folded those guys up and sent them home and stapled them just like I got stapled. <laughs> Hopefully you see the point there. Notice in this passage, Jesus teaches that faith in God means you speak to things. In this case, you speak to the mountain. Jesus had just spoken to a fig tree and it obeyed him. How crazy is that? The tree withered and died. So as Christians, our faith, number one, can be seen by what we're talking about. What we're posting on Facebook. Now, I, I preach a lot against Facebook. It's only for the sin that comes out on it. It is a valuable tool. My dad and I were having a great discussion. His church is being slandered vehemently by a 17-year-old right now. And his, my dad's church runs thousands of people. So we had this discussion because his elder board is trying to figure out what to do about this little uh, slander pot. And I said, Dad, I'll tell you two things that I've learned. Brother Hagen said if they accused him of killing his grandmother, he'd never even stop to acknowledge it because he's too busy serving God. Number two, Billy Graham said, never defend yourself because your enemies won't believe you and your friends don't care. And he said, well, I've decided this. Facebook is for narcissistic cowards. That's pretty sharp, Dad. He said, because I don't care what you eat, I don't care where you go to eat it, and I don't care about your kids. You can tell he's dealing with a lot of church pressure. And I said, well, Dad, I kind of think of it this way. Uh, you can use Facebook or social media to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ, or you can use Facebook to preach the gospel of who gives a rip. Because most of what Christians post on there, who gives a rip? It's only because you're afraid of being called a hater that you wouldn't open your mouth on Facebook and talk about what you learned or talk about, well, I just witnessed to three people, you should too. I just witnessed to a Muslim. Who else is witnessing the Muslims out there? And you could provoke one another to good works through a good kind of spiritual peer pressure. Don't you know when you see others serving God, it kind of puts a pressure on you. Well, you should serve God too. The whole world rises and falls on peer pressure. How, why did the Lord save the Gentiles? To provoke the Jews to jealousy, to put pressure on them. And Hebrews says, provoke one another to good works. But what we talk about is, you know, all, and then, you know, there's a, of course, there's a place for that. Yeah, give a shout out to all my homies, class of 94, what, what? You know, that's great. But how about, what are you going to say to them after that? I'm a born again Christian, and I hope everybody in my class of 94 would be saved too. Otherwise, you're a coward. You can't really call yourself a Christian because Christians talk about their faith. Just like NASCAR people talk about NASCAR, just like football people talk about football, you have to actually override who you are in Christ to keep your mouth shut. Jeremiah said if you keep your mouth shut, it's like a fire shut up in your bones. 
It's almost impossible to keep your mouth shut. And yet we're learning how to do it. We're quenching our faith. And we're saying, you know what? This much invested in this God over here is drawing a lot of heat. I need to make a transaction and transfer some faith to something a little bit more seeker-sensitive, a little bit more tolerable, a little bit more accepting, a little bit more Peace Corps-ish. Where I'm, 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 people understand I have a faith tradition. If all you have is a faith tradition, you're damned. I have a living, breathing walk with Jesus Christ of Nazareth. I like what the one martyr said, Vic, uh, not Victor Plymier, Vanya in, in, in communist Russia in 1969. He had gone into the communist army and he was late for the first morning roll call in, in, as a cadet. And they said, where have you been, Vanya? You're late for roll call. He said, I've been talking, I've been praying this morning, sir. And they all laughed him because, you know, communists don't believe in God. They said, to who have you been praying? Well, to God, of course. And they all laughed him. Vanya, there is no God. Don't you know better? He said, of course there is. I was just talking to him. <laughs> That's the simple faith we have. Amen. Our friends in Iceland, because Iceland has been a Christian nation for a thousand years, you can't ask them if they're Christians. Everybody's a Christian. Because they were all confirmed in the Lutheran church. Because the Lutheran church is the national church is funded by taxes. So you can't say, are you a Christian? Do you know Jesus Christ? Because the answer is yes, and they go to hell. What they have had to learn to do is say, do you have a living walk with God Almighty? Because they don't know what that means. Because all they've been is confirmed. If all you've ever been is confirmed, you're probably damned. Amen. Getting dunked, going through a class, shaking a hand, getting a certificate is not salvation in Christ. You can tell by your life if you're truly born again. Amen. Boy, we're preaching pretty good. I feel evangelistic. I think uh, Miss Eileen and Mr. Allen may get saved this morning again. <laughs> and the apostle said unto the Lord, increase our faith. And the Lord said, if you had faith as a grain of a mustard seed, you might say, under this sycamine tree, be thou plucked up by the root, be thou planted in the sea, and it would obey you. Again, these guys, they wanted their faith to increase, just like we want ours to. And Jesus said, if you want your faith to increase, open your mouth. If you really want your faith to increase, if you, all you'd have to do is say, and your faith would be increasing. So we don't increase our faith through praying, we increase our faith through saying. The second you open your mouth, you're in faith. I don't think I can do it. We don't tolerate that in my household. I don't let Lydia say, I can't do it. We say, at the very least, you ask for help. We don't even tolerate crying when it comes to frustration. Honey, you're not going to cry. You're going to ask for help. Because I don't want her to be a 35-year-old woman breaking down and crying every time something gets hard. I want her to be a woman that goes to God and gets help. That's faith. You open your mouth and you start saying, at the very least, faith says help. It might say, Lord, I don't know. Lord, help me. Lord, I don't get it. Lord, help me. But when you're really born again, you can't help but talk to God all the time. That's faith. Instead of praying for them, notice Jesus didn't pray that they'd get more faith. Sometimes our answer isn't somebody praying for us. It's us actually just doing something. He didn't say, oh, let me stop and lay hands on you guys in impartation time. Thank God for impartations. He said, if you, if you had faith like a little mustard seed, you'd start talking. And that would increase their faith. Look at this next section. Faith in our heart, released by our mouth. Faith birthed in our heart. Faith is of the heart. We're talking about what is faith. Faith is of the heart, for with the heart we believe. We must take the word of God that we have heard and meditate upon it in our heart. It will become our faith. Whatever you think on becomes your faith. 
Again, to use the gay marriage thing, uh, the propaganda machine has not shut off since 1970. Every, nearly every TV show, movie, comedian, talk show, etc., has worked to put the faith out there that there's nothing wrong with gay marriage, and many Christians are weaker in their Christian faith for it because they never bother to spend time with God. So their faith's been hijacked, and whatever you hear, you believe. Faith comes by hearing. And so now we have 59% of America believes homosexual marriage is okay. They believed it. They meditated on it. They believed it. They meditated on it. And again, trolling Facebook, you wouldn't believe how many Christians, uh, you know, embedded the rainbow flag over their icon. To me, that's betraying Jesus Christ. Because he's the Lord of creation. He made it very clear if you would stay in the Bible. Uh... We don't have time to go into philosophical or theological debates on all of it. Faith comes by hearing. And so we should be meditating in the word of God. That's why the Lord said, if you want prosperity and success, stay in the word. Meditate there in day and night. Then will you make your way prosperous. Then will you have good success. If we meditate on it, it will become our faith. Romans 10, 8 and 10 says, but what says the spirit of faith? This word is near thee, even in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith which we preach. For with the heart man believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. Notice faith in the mouth, again, is tied hand in hand. It comes out of your heart. Out of the abundance of your heart, you're going to talk. Once we believe in our hearts, then the word begins to proceed out of our mouths. All we have to do is squeeze you, and we can see where your faith is. All we have to do is squeeze the pastor. We'll see where the pastor's faith is. If we back down, there was never really any faith in us. It was all fluff, like meringue or a yeast roll. So all you have to do, and this, we taught this Wednesday night, that's why sifting is such a good thing. You get to see where your faith really is. Are you really that faithful to Jesus Christ, or will you betray him? Will you deny him? Well, many Christians, they never know what it is to be sifted because they never walk with Jesus outside of church. The first time Peter walked with Jesus outside of Jesus was there at that temple, at the priest's palace, and that 13-year-old girl was able to squeeze his faith out of him. Most, of, most Christians in America, they only have a Sunday morning faith, which is not going to cut it. Not in this day and hour. No, if, if you confess yourself to be a Christian, the devil's coming for you. And we're going to see what you're really made out of. Amen. A good man... Out of the good treasure of his heart brings forth that which is good. And the evil man, out of the evil treasure of his heart, brings forth that which is evil. For of the abundance of the heart, his mouth speaks. Notice whatever's in your heart is going to come out of your mouth. Don't be ashamed to let it come out. They're not ashamed to burp up their sin and perversion. Just burp it up. Just say, well, I'm entitled to my opinion too. Or just say, what do you, if they say, what do you think? Well, I'll tell you what the Bible says. What do you think? I'll tell you what the Bible says. And just put God out there, unless you're ashamed of the Bible. God doesn't care about what anybody on MSNBC says, Fox News, CNN, Drudge, Yahoo, HuffPo, Mother Hubbard, Mother Jones, Mother what's going on. He doesn't care about what anybody has to say. He is God. He's a self-existent one. If you didn't know, he doesn't need us or our whimsical opinions. Yeah. What God wants to hear is us reciting his word back to him. What comes out of our mouth originated in our heart? You must give diligence to make sure there are no evil treasures in your heart. If there are, they will eventually come out of your mouth. It's like slandering one another. Uh, that's because it's in you. 
And maybe it wasn't in you, but at some point you started meditating and decided to get a sick stomach and it had to come back out. This verse, uh, Hebrews 10, 23, let us hold fast the profession of our faith without waving for he is faithful that promise. Now we're just talking about what is faith and it's having to deal with the mouth a lot here. You have to hold fast, fast the profession of your faith without wavering. This verse challenges us as believers to cling to the confession of the word of God. This is what we refer to as faith confessions. These are the promises of God's words that you confess because you believe them, not necessarily because you see them. To vacillate between the world and the word would be called wavering. James 1 tells us that this makes us unstable in all our ways. The, uh, James 4 actually goes on to say, repent, you double-minded, you wavering. So when you waver between the world, what the Baptists always called, you're walking the fence, having one foot in the world, one foot in the church. When you waver like that, the Bible calls you double-minded. And when the Bible calls you double-minded, it promises you you'll not receive anything from God. Which means all the Christians that say, well, it doesn't work, they, they tell off on themselves that they were half-hearted anyway. They were wavering. And so what we need to do is turn our ship directly into God as quickly as possible and not waver on anything, but set our face and our faith like flint in Jesus Christ of Nazareth. This world is coming to an end. Everybody can feel it. Even the politicians say, what is this world coming to? An end. And only the rats, excuse me, even the rats know when the ship's going down. You just sit at the dinner table, and if they all scurry past you, you know where the water's coming from, wherever they just came from. <laughs> yeah, everybody can tell the world's coming to an end. And yet, they insist on playing music on the deck. When somebody, what was it, Adrian Rogers' quote says, if you're, trying to, if you're trying to make a life in this day and age, you're just trying to rearrange the, sh the chairs of the, sh of the Titanic. You're not going to save this world. It's sinking. God said it would. It's destined. But what you and I can do is go out in great faith. And if we die, we die in faith. That's no, it's not. Yeah, I wish I had taught this curriculum like six months ago so all this junk of our society wouldn't have to come out through my Sunday school. But the mark of a good preacher, which I am one, and that is confident speaking, is that you're not afraid to fight the battle at hand. Amen. You're not afraid to fight the battle at hand. If the house is on fire, you don't go play golf. That's a bad parent. If the kids are drowning, you don't continue flipping the hot dogs. And if the nation's going to hell, you don't pat everybody on the back and tell them how wonderful they are. God bless you. Good to see you. See you next Sunday. You know, you have to deal with the sin at hand. All right. The tongue is a powerful weapon, and we need to understand this as Christians because the Lord is looking to us as the church, as salt and light, to use the tongue that is a two-edged sword to protect and preserve and to do what we can in these dark hours. Faith speaks, and your faith is what you are speaking, good, bad, or indifferent. Isaiah 41, 15, Behold, I will make you a new sharp threshing instrument having teeth. You will thresh the mountains and beat them small, and you'll make the hills as chaff. That threshing instrument having teeth is your mouth. Proverbs 18, 21 says, Death and life are in the power of the tongue, and they that love it shall eat the fruit thereof. These are things that promise us our mouth is a very powerful weapon. Because faith is a powerful force, we must be ever mindful of the words that come out of our mouth. And our next verse, very famous, James chapter 3, The tongue is a fire, a world of iniquity. So is the tongue among our members that it defiles the whole body 
and sets on fire the course of nature. The Bible even says of Christians, our tongue is set on fire of hell. It means you got to be very careful when your mouth is talking. Out of the same mouth proceeds blessings and cursings. My brethren, these things ought not so to be. Now, again, to remind you, when the, word, the King James of the New Testament says cursing or swearing, it's not talking about four-letter words or dirty movie words. It's talking about the biblical act of pronouncing a curse over someone or swearing an oath. And the New Testament forbids that because your word ought to stand on its own. Yes ought to be yes, no ought to be no. And if you do have to curse something, which like Jesus cursed the fig tree, Jesus cursed demons, when you do have to curse something, make sure it's not your own life. Make sure it's something Jesus endorses you to curse, like sin. Curse sin in your life. Curse demonic activity. Come against it in the name of the Lord. We have that authority. Psalm 149 tells us to. Actually, Psalm 149 says, This heritage, this faith have all the saints of the Lord that we can bind our kings with chains. That means the president. And we can bind our nobles with fetters of iron. That means you can get a hold of your governments but through prayer and bind them and restrain them from doing their stupid acts. Our tongue can set, on, set things on fire and burn them to the ground. You can burn your marriage to the ground. You can burn your kids to the ground. All you have to do is look at your kid and say, you're useless. You're good for nothing. And maybe some of us are still recovering from that. Maybe some of us as adults, part of our problem is there's still a, a smoldering ember from what dad or mom said to us 40, 50, 60 years ago. That's why the tongue is so critical that we watch it, that we correct, and then we build up. We, we break off that which is sinful, and then we build back what, what is proper. Your kids ought to hear you say you're proud of them just as much as you, if not more than, honey, we don't do that. You need a spanking. They need to, kids want, they thrive off of approval. And if you as parents don't give them approval, they're going to find somebody in middle school that will, and that you'll lose your kid. If your kids don't hear you say, I love you, sweetie, you can do anything. You are, that's awesome. I, that's amazing. I'm so proud of you. They will thrive under that. But if all they ever hear you do is put them down and tear them down, they're going to seek approval because everybody's designed to seek approval. Everybody seeks approval. That's why our country is going to hell because it wants the world's approval. That's why presidents stink because they base everything on people's approval. If we can teach them, I'm going to approve of you when it's godly, and I'm going to discipline you when it's not. They'll thrive under the approval and their hearts will say, I want to please God too. But be careful. Your tongue can set things on fire and burn them. Our tongues have the power to both bless and curse. These are powerful actions and should not be taken lightly. Matthew 12 says, But I say unto you that every idle word that men speak, they shall give account thereof in the day of judgment. Every word. For by your words you shall be justified and acquitted. That means you get off scot-free. And by your words you shall be condemned and sentenced. Notice these are judgmental terms. I am so, of course, that's one of my common themes. Is I'm so over this whole anti-judgment thing. That's just so judgmental. That's so judgy. Oh, it's like arguing with a two-year-old. Yeah. Everything works on judgment. Whether you run the traffic light or not. Whether you buy the cantaloupe or not. Whether once you buy the cantaloupe and you cut it, you judge. That's the best cantaloupe I've ever had. Or even yesterday, my wife said, I need you to taste the cantaloupe. See if it tastes right to you. She's asking me to judge. And the cantaloupe didn't say, oh my God, it's such a judgmental household. <laughs> now, my wife is such a stickler for money. If, things don't, if, if produce doesn't taste right, she takes it back to Walmart. 
something weird grows on the carrot. She says, I'm taking this bag of carrots back to Walmart. I was like, honey, it's a buck. It's a buck. And I didn't pay a buck for weird carrots. That's the judgment call. How do you make money in the stock market? Is it not by judging? Don't you want your doctors to be good at judging? I want my dentist to be good at judging, to drill the right tooth and pull the right one and not the wrong one. Everything works on judgment except pagans. I have Max in my love. Who are you to judge? Said the dirty Christian. Said the one whose conscience is already smiting them. Says the pervert, the adulterer, the adulteress, the homosexual, the, the rapist, the pedophile, the pornographer. Who are you to judge? Says the one who already knows they're guilty. When you have a humble heart and somebody judges you, you say, you're right. You're, you're right. <laughs> I don't think there's going to be a single mouth on judgment day say, Lord, I totally disagree with this whole judgy day thing. <laughs> totally disagree. If this was on earth... You would be so un unliked on Facebook. You would be blocked. And the Lord said, I've already been blocked. That's why I'm burning earth right now. And I'm going to make a new heaven and a new earth. But I'm telling you, Lord, this whole judgy thing, mm, you're not going to be popular. That's why the Lord says, every tongue shall be stopped. <laughs> An account will be given for every idle word spoken. And our words either acquit us or they sentence and condemn us. Be careful what you say. The quickest way to get in trouble with the Lord is to justify yourself. The quickest way to get out of trouble with the Lord is to plead guilty. Pastor John Osteen, who's in heaven now, would always say, shut up and plead guilty. That's how you get mercy. This morning, Lydia, she was about to get a spanking. She had, was making a mess, and she was purposely putting crumbs in her lap and getting chocolate all over her little nightgown. I don't know what kind of parent feeds their kid a chocolate granola bar for breakfast, but apparently we do. <laughs> and she was about to get a spanking because based on whether or not she told the truth, honey, did you purposely put those crumbs in your lap or did they fall in your lap? And if you lie, I'm going to spank you. And when she told the truth, she said, I, I did it on purpose. Well, it's hard to spank somebody when they're being honest, and they know. She, you could see the little wheels turning. Uh, we make her go stand by the paddle drawer to await. She knows, and she goes and stands there because she knows how to obey. And yet she still thrives and is full of joy and peace. She's not some stuttering, you know, goofy kid like they say will happen if you discipline your kid. She's full of joy. She bounces. She's got way more energy. We're still trying to rein that thing in. She stood there, so I went and talked to her. And I, my heart says, if you'll just plead guilty, you know you'll go back and you'll get to have breakfast and it'll go on. And she pled guilty. It's really hard to have judgment on someone who pleads guilty. You'll always get thumped by God, by the officer of the court, by the police officer when you try to justify what you know is sinful and wrong. That went, I've gotten out of a lot of speeding tickets because I drive fast. Because people around here, I don't care what you think, <laughs> but I know mercy. And I've also paid my fair share. And I also have an immaculate driving record, too. Um, I just plead guilty. I told you a couple weeks ago I got pulled over for just rolling through a stop sign. I didn't mean to roll through a stop sign. I came to a stop. I saw the cop there, like I'm going to just blow through it. And I was actually listening to NPR about the lady who invented the pill and Planned Parenthood. She was a racist. She, she invented the pill and Planned Parenthood because she hated blacks. She's a liberal hero. 
Her name escapes me. Some of you may know it. Anyways, so I was, I was listening to this story, and it was so fascinating because I'd never heard the story of the development of the pill. This woman was a total sex fiend. We're talking like the 1920s and 30s. And she wanted to liberate women so they didn't have to worry about having babies, so they could just not have babies. And, I, and so anyway, so I was listening to this story, fascinating, understanding why my, my nation's so messed up. And I see coming to the stop sign, there's the police officer, and I just like roll right past him. And I, I'm probably nodded at him because I love our police officers. Well, he whips him right behind me and pulls me over. And, and I was like, whoa, what did I just do? I don't think I was speeding. So he comes out, and I have everything ready. I even got my gun permit ready because you're supposed to have your gun permit. I said, here's my gun permit, sir. I don't have a gun on me, though, but I know I'm supposed to show it to you. He said, all right. So he comes back. Here's my insurance. He said, you know why I'm pulling you over? I said, I have no idea. He said, you, rolled through, you, you blew through the stop sign back there. I said, I did? He said, you did. He said, you know how fast you're going? I said, I have no idea. I said, honestly, I was just listening to a story on NPR about the pill. And I was just really caught up in that. He said, I'm not really sure how fast you're doing, but you're doing way faster than me approaching that stop sign. I said, okay, I was probably speeding. I'm sorry, sir. And so he goes back and he comes back and he says, well, all your stuff, Mr. McMichael's in order. I said, well, I'm, I'm totally guilty. I, I, I said, I wouldn't have blown. I just wasn't paying attention to officer. I, there's no way I would have run the stop sign with you sitting there. I'm not stupid. I said, I just probably distracted. He said, well, you seem to have everything in order. And I said, well, thank you. He said, you seem like an upstanding citizen. I said, well, I hope so. I'm, I'm a pastor in town. He said, you are? What church? And I said, in Grafted Word Church. He said, you know Rick Newman? I said, yeah, I know Rick Newman. I said, where do you go to church? So he told me. So we start talking about the things of God. <laughs> and I start telling him how much I appreciate it. And in fact, I started to find out what his history was and why he switched over from one thing to this. He was a sheriff's deputy. He said, well, to be honest with you, I stopped you because I'm looking for drugs. And I thought about saying, well, what you need? But I... <laughs> but, <laughs> but I was like, we're friendly, but I don't know if we're on those terms yet. I said, well, sir, I don't, I don't have any drugs. He said, just watch yourself with that stop sign. He let me go. But I just shut up and pled guilty. I was like, oh, if you say I speed, I'm speeding. I'm not going to try to justify it. I got an excuse. I said, yeah, if I'm speeding, I was listening to a story on NPR, and, and I didn't mean to blow through it. But honestly, even with the police officer, if you'll just plead guilty, they'll have mercy on you. Really, really, really merciful mercy. And it works with God, too. You start justifying yourself. He's going to resist you until you realize no righteousness stands before him. Amen. Other scriptures about the power of the faith-filled tongue. The mouth is a well of life. So if you want to drink well, speak well. The mouth can destroy your neighbor. Ouch. Folks love that on topics and Facebook. Slander, slander, slander. If you're going to serve God, you're going to be slandered, but rejoice because they're just racking up rewards in heaven for you. Your mouth can overthrow or exalt an entire city. I use my mouth to try to exalt our city to make it righteous. An upright mouth can deliver you from harm. The mouth produces fruit that can satisfy you. If your life is miserable, blame your mouth. Amen. The wise tongue is healing and health. A man eats good by the fruit of his mouth. The tongue can bring healing and it is a tree of life. Notice all this stuff that the tongue is designed to do. You can declare a thing and it will be established. This is, this, these are the principles of faith and we have to look at all this and realize that the number one place we see faith seeping out of is our mouth. Just like we just came back from Iceland. Iceland is a, a, a geologic wonderland. You can tell something is actively going on there because volcanoes erupt every couple years. Geysers erupt every couple minutes. Uh, hot springs are running here. There's something going on. 
We can tell what your faith is and you can tell what my faith is by what's constantly seeping or bubbling out of our mouth. Amen. You can, you can claim you're hot for God all you want, but is it really boiling hot water out of your mouth or is it more carnal speech? So the principles of faith begin by what we believe in our heart and when you believe it strong enough, it just starts seeping out of your mouth. You can't help it. And when you give over to it, man, you'll become this mighty preaching, witnessing, exhorting, encouraging machine. And that's what God's looking for in all of us. Even if it means witnessing to the police officer who has every right to give you a ticket. Yeah. Father, bless our time here this morning in this Sunday school. We thank you for saving us and redeeming us. Father, help us with our mouth. Help us to release faith in the right direction, not towards the pagans or towards sinful sensuality, but help us to walk in the word of God. In Jesus' name, amen.